This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 600 This episode was pre-recorded. Can the comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Let's all take our seats. It's Crisis 312. Gorilla covers always sell. This is how I got my wife to read comics. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. And you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe give us a rating. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like it's at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork or call us at 614 614- 321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. We're taping this in advance as we explore the history of DC's crossover events. After Day of Judgment, How I Got My Wife to Read Comics, Episode 593, DC decided to hold off on major crossover events for a while, instead concentrating on mini-events involving specific characters, mostly Superman and Batman, Natch. To explain today's topic, we have to go back to the Golden Age and even back to the pulps. Editors at the time had a lot more direct control of the content, often coming up with concepts for each issue. This was done by creating a sensational cover and then handing it to the writer, who would then be forced to write a story to match it. This makes sense in a way, since covers are what sold pulps and comics to kids, the main demographic at the time. In the 1950s, Legendary DC editor Julius Schwartz came up with the cover concept of Strange Adventures No. 8, with cover by Wynne Mortimer, featuring a gorilla in a cage holding a sign. Ruth, please believe me, I am the victim of a terrible scientific experiment. Ralph. The story, Evolution Plus, the incredible story of an ape with a human brain, became a huge seller at the time. A year later... Schwartz featured another gorilla cover in Big Town Number no. 14, which was also successful. DC editorial director Erwin Donenfeld noticed that the common factor was the gorilla, which created the adage, gorilla covers always sell. There were a plethora of gorilla covers and simian characters after that. Over the next two decades, Schwartz oversaw 22 ape covers, Superman editor Mort Weisinger 18 covers, and Bat editor Jack Schiff 17. Superman fought Titano, the super gorilla, and would later tussle with a simian version of Ultra Humanite. Batman tackled the gorilla boss of Gotham. Flash battled Gorilla Grodd, a villain from a hidden city of intelligent apes. The Doom Patrol dealt with Monsieur Mala. Wonder Woman even played baseball with a gorilla on the cover of her title. In 1999, DC gave tribute to this idea in a set of annuals under the collective title of JL Ape Gorilla Warfare. JLA Annual Number no. 3, written by Len Kaminsky, penciled by Jason Orfalis, inked by Jordy Ensign, lettered by Kurt Hathaway, colored by Jason Wright, separations by Heroic Age, associate editor Tony Bedard, and editor Dan Raspler. 
We begin in Gorilla City, where Solovar, the leader, is giving a press conference. This is rather unusual, as Gorilla City has taken pains to remain hidden for over a century after an extraterrestrial visitor gave the apes there advanced intelligence. But they've decided they can no longer afford that luxury, as ecological and geopolitical turmoil has reached the point where they must intervene. He petitions the U.N. for membership. One day later, Solovar is at the White House for a photo op with President Clinton, and the day after that, he's on talk shows. Within a week, he's doing a signing of his new book, Two Tribes, and fending off reporters. He gets in a limo, which explodes. Cue credits. Your JLA lineup, it's the Magnificent Seven. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern Kyle, Flash Wally, and Aquaman. The mysterious human supremacy movement takes credit for the bombing, but the DEO has never heard of them and thinks it's fishy. At the Gorilla City Council, there's bedlam with calls of war. An inner council watches this. Clearly, they arranged Solovar's death in order to advance the Simeon Scarlet Cultural Purity Movement to take over. They are already using Solovar's nephew, Prince Regent Olgo, to bring them to heel. There's a toast to their inspiration. Grod, oh, don't say that name. Grod is also watching. A secret advisor, he's pulling the strings, bringing his ultimate goal within reach. There's a request made to the JLA asking Superman, Flash, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman to come to Gorilla City and act as intermediaries between apes and humanity. Clark notes that since Gorilla City is a monarchy, they may be more comfortable with Wonder Woman and Aquaman, who are both royalty. Diana notes that the non-human members may be more objective. Of course, it's an ambush. Clark still thinks it's just a misunderstanding and recommends kid gloves. A missile is lobbed at them, there's green smoke, and they're turned into apes. It also affects their minds, turning them to the anti-human cause. I love you, Dr. Zass! Martian Manhunter, who came along invisibly as a defensive move, has also turned ape, but still has his own mind. He uses his mental abilities to help them fight their impulses, and they beam back to the watchtower. The inner council sees this and squabbles before Grodd telepathically assures them that the plan can still work. Kyle arrives at the watchtower and freaks out when he sees a team of apes making plans. Fortunately, Batman arrives to calm him down. They have one of the gorilla bombs and examine it, determining that a crystalline isolinear chip has metaphysical properties similar to Animal Man, who can mimic animal abilities. John tracks down Animal Man, who's having visions of nightmare scenarios. The morphogenetic field he uses is being tampered with. He's also freaked out by John's simian look. Can't he morph into other shapes? John assimilates Animal Man's knowledge and returns to the Watchtower only to find havoc. The male apes are fighting for Diana's affection. Batman exerts dominance until John mentally zaps them again. John then does essentially a mind meld with each of them. Flash even references a Voyager episode to ensure the control sticks. Prince Regent Olgo makes a speech at the UN saying that humans failed as caretakers of our planet and declares war. He's got a gorilla bomb on him, and the League heads off to prevent further monkey business. Really, Clark? But they're too late, as gorillas beam in and lob the bombs, converting the assembly. This includes Kyle, who went along. 
There's a panel with the representatives of Fredonia and Sylvania, with Simeon, Groucho, and Chico Marx quipping away. It's all right. That, that's in every contract. That's, that's what they call a sanity clause. <laughs> you can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause. John and Bruce have cobbled up an anti-bomb and beam down to find chaos. There's a lot of apes quoting political jargon and Kyle screaming, It's a madhouse! A madhouse! Madhouse, I know! (laughs) They try to calm things down before setting off the anti-bomb, then conveniently determine that the effects, which seemed to be undetermined a moment earlier, will not cover everyone. Either the UN is de-aped, or the JLA is. Of course, they choose the former. Olga walks away due to diplomatic immunity, but John was able to do a quick scan of his mind, learning there will be coordinated attacks on Themyscira, Atlantis, Central City, Bloodhaven, Metropolis, and Low Earth Orbit. So they will have to split up, despite the possibility of them losing their to their monkey impulses. And Kyle wasn't even mind-melded. Batman Annual Number 23, writer Chuck Dixon, penciled by Graham Nolan, inked by Mark Pennington, colored by Noel Giddings, lettered by John Costanza, associate editor Joseph Illage, editor Darren Vicenzo. In Bloodhaven, there's a hit on Minsky's Skyview Casino by a huge guy who seems impervious to weapons. Batman checks in with Blinky in the hospital, who can't ID the attacker, but he had an interesting smell. Bruce checks in with Dick, who tells his ex-ward that there's more to this hit. Something strange, something big. Assassin Lady Vic stops to see Blinky, making sure he's not squealing. At a posh hotel, room service is bringing in a triple jumbo fruit salad and fresh baby lobster with bananas? The customer is in the bathroom, asking for lots of shampoo. At the crime scene, Dick finds fingerprints, noting that the attacker was crawling. A week ago, at a fast food drive-thru, a hairy hand grabs an order. As you probably guessed from the Jail Ape cover, there's simians in the car. They are hitmen, hit apes, with a Pulp Fiction vibe. And you know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? I mean, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what a quarter pounder is. And what do they call it? They call it the Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right following Grimm to ensure he's following Grodd's instructions. Lady Vic reports in with Desmond, a.k.a. Blockbuster, telling him what Blinky said happened at the casino. When shown a list of who was there, he sees a likely target. Bruce and Dick go back to Nightwing's lair, a.k.a. a garage. Sorry, all the caves were taken. Barbara has examined fibers found at the attack, and they are definitely simian. Batman tells them, there's a gorilla in our midst. Grimm breaks into George, his target's home, and makes it clear Grimm is aiming to be the new boss in town. He tells George to grease the wheels on a shipment coming in before the dynamic duo arrive. Bruce takes out Grimm's monkey goons with a tesserang set to high, but Grimm escapes with George. The hit apes break into an apartment where Grimm is supposed to be, find it empty, and are then eviscerated by Lady Vic. Via TV, we get a review of the JLA issue, then we cut to Batboat en route to stop the shipment. Dick refers to the gorilla boss of Bloodhaven, and Bruce notes that Grimm wouldn't be the first hood to ape the old gangster movie. This whole issue is a tribute to a Golden Age Batman story called The Gorilla Boss of Gotham City, again 
Gorilla covers always sell. They board a ship badly named Jungle King and think they have the drop on Grimm, but find Blockbuster and Lady Vic. A fight is paused by the appearance of Grimm and George, then resumes with the use of a molecular disruptor, which George accidentally uses to take out the ship. Lady Vic appears to go down with it, but we see her and Blockbuster dragging Grimm to shore later. Blockbuster has plans for him. Aquaman Annual Number 5, written by John Ostrander, delineated by M.D. Bright, made legible by Dick Giordano, Hughes added by Alex Blyart and Rob Rowe, calligraphy by Janice Chiang, second banana Harvey Reynolds, top banana Kevin Dooley. Arthur is already having troubles keeping his control as he remembers the events so far. Martian Manhunter told Arthur off-panel that Gorilla Admiral Trafalgo is on his way to collect the Eye of Poseidon needed for their overall plan. So we get an ape wearing regalia and sporting an eye patch, along with a small monkey buddy. Garth and Mira are making plans to defend the city, with the former getting Dolphin, who is expecting Garth's child, to safety. Of course, she insists on joining the fight. The attack begins and Volko is turned into a sea monkey. Get it? Arthur rides a whale to attack Trafalgo's ship, only to have the whale converted into a huge ape. Apparently, they're now using a ray instead of a bomb to do the conversion. Arthur Ape and Garth Ape then fight for supremacy, with dolphins stepping in at the last moment to stop a tragedy. Arthur and Mira have a moment. They're no longer married, but still friends. Garth is sent to retrieve the MacGuffin, but the others come to his aid. Arthur fires a blast from his trident through the MacGuffin, which de-apes the Atlanteans, and the attacking apes turn into Atlanteans. They almost drown before getting out of their scuba equipment. Trafalgo beats Cheeks, and Arthur follows. Wonder Woman Annual Number 8, written by Docell Young, penciled by Brian Denham, inked by John Sibal, lettered by Clem Robbins, colored by Patricia Mulliville, and edited by Maureen McTeek. We begin on the River Styx, where Sharon is taking Neil, a recently shot bad guy, over the water. A team of apes blow up the boat, ordering Sharon to work for them or get his brains blown out, despite his connections upstairs. They want him to show them the return of our gods. Diana, back in human form for some reason, and her team, Shimtar and Artemis, are there to escort the apes out of the underworld. Diana uses her magical shape-shifting stuff to whip up a boat for them. End of prologue. Flashback to a few hours earlier, where Air Force planes are dogfighting simian ships. An aircraft carrier is taken out, and we learn that the ape's mistress, Abu Gita, wants to breach the Tartarus Gate. One of her subjects, Lucknut, is in her harem, and it's clear he knows something she doesn't. There's a whole lot of mystical stuff here. Just think MacGuffin. Back in New York City, two characters we don't know have some banter. Then we cut to Cassie who's trying to control her flight power and doing badly. She drops off Artemis and returns to Young Justice. She's there to save Diana, now an ape, and does so by shooting her with a magical arrow. Diana is converted back. 
At the same time, the Mascara is attacked by the Abugida ship, who break through their defenses and enter the Tartarus Gate. There's a whole sequence about Shimtar, an Amazon that was sent to the man's world in Oxford. The trio catch up to the apes, and there's a big fight. One of the apes is turned to stone, and Lucknut begs Diana to put him under the lasso's power. A massive ape lizard creature arrives to battle Diana. Underwater, Diana finds another Amazon named Nubia, who won a tournament to patrol the Tartarus Gate from the inside. Meanwhile, the ape gods, the Rakshashashas, are bantering at their temple. We then get a massive double-page spread of battling gods, apes, and Amazons. Diana wraps up Abugita with her lasso and tells her there is a hidden truth, and then wraps up Lucknut. He has learned a heresy after being injured as part of the harem, forcing some downtime where he did research. The Rakshashas are from Hindu mythology, and the apes mythology only goes back a hundred years, cobbled together from concepts by Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, and H.P. Lovecraft. So how did the apes get to the underworld? Diana Amazon explains that all of the apes have latent psionic abilities and their combined force of mind allowed them to enter. Just like when Wily e. Coyote only falls once he realizes he ran off a cliff, Abugita disappears once she is told the truth. There's a multi-page narration from Diana wrapping up story points and the necessity of absolute truth. Will the Justice League triumph over their simian foes, or will Earth remain a planet of the apes? Tune in for our next Crisis episode. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Justice, he has no fear, he's the agent to call when trouble is near.